0: Even from this, again, I know that there's a lot of um, shame and a lot of awkwardness and a lot of wanting to hide from God and from your Christian community and dealing with this. But of course, there's no temptation that, that has seized you that others haven't been exposed to or haven't felt in their lives. Um, so I want you to know that you're not alone, and I want you to be able to break out of the chains Uh, of this lust into Christ's marvelous light. You may be one choice away from a thriving marriage. Welcome to the
1: Operation Thriving Marriage Podcast with Brian and Jennifer Hartman. Welcome back to the Operation Thriving Marriage podcast. Thanks for being with us today. We're excited to have you and excited to be moving forward as um, we're heading into March. And hopefully that means warmer weather for you. Usually it means a lot of rain for us.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird in Michigan. Just, you know, wait an hour. It's going to be different.
1: Yeah, we get all four seasons in one day sometimes. And I know that's a joke everywhere, always has worse weather than wherever someone else is. So your weather is, of course, worse than Michigan weather. But have you ever seen anyone mowing their grass in the snow? Because I have. So just saying, we, Michigan, we've got some interesting characters. They're usually wearing shorts when they're doing it, too.
0: Yeah, I think, I think Michigan weather, sometimes it just needs to be
1: medicated. It,
0: it just is what it
1: is. We, we, we've often... We've often posted to Michigan to, you know what, go home, Michigan. You're drunk because the weather has been changing, the falling all over itself. That's so it. Um, but uh, we're going to be heading into today, and this is a, this is a deeper topic. This is a heavier topic, and uh, we're going to be talking about dealing with lust, that kind of temptation to fall into it as well, right? right? And so we're going to talk about that. But um, and this really comes from an article that was talking about some of the damage and dangers of purity culture from the 90s, but also kind of talked about why those people that started the ministry, kind of where they were going. But I want to say something right now. We're going to be very briefly addressing rape culture and rape. And so if that's something that, that's not comfortable for you to listen to or something in your past that could be a trigger for you that you don't want to listen to, this, just turn off this podcast and catch up with us in a couple of weeks when we drop the next one.
0: Or have um, a friend of yours uh, or, or your spouse preview it for you to, to
1: just let you know what's going on. So in First John 2.16, it talks about the different temptations or things we face. They call it um, in different translations, but um, in NIV, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And we want to look really at um, sexual lust and how that affects people. And really our
0: culture is so ubiquitous in its encouragement of us yeah, to really lust. Is. Yeah. Marketing often is uh, specifically targeting sexual desires for human beings, and we're seeing that all the time. We see stories that, that are told in books, in television, and film, and it glamorizes lust about, above and beyond true and deep love.
1: And the narrative in our culture has become that lust is just unavoidable and even expected. It's just, it's kind of okay to be lusting. Uh, You can look, but you can't touch. Yeah, that's a poison song from the 80s. And a very popular song. And it's a common phrase like, hey, you know what? I'm married. I can look. As long as I don't touch, then I'm being faithful.
0: And and that's very contrary to what uh, Jesus tells us in scripture at the end of the day, guys, lust is not okay. Matthew 5:27 through 30 puts it this way as, as Jesus is speaking. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to desire her lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into hell.
1: So clearly, Jesus is raising the stakes on here. The idea of you can look, but you can't touch is not legitimate according to Jesus. Jesus was very firm, very clear on that. But something else I want to address here, dismissing lust as normal encourages rape culture. Mm -hmm. So having a situation where it's okay to tell lewd and crude jokes, have pornographic pictures and calendars up around is creating an environment where it is dehumanizing people. Lust ultimately dehumanizes. We deny the humanity of the people we lust after and view them as sex, sex objects not as humans.
0: And it's important to remember too that sexual assault is not a women's issue, it's a humans issue.
1: So we I talk- want to I want to hit that really hard. I, not, sweetheart, you're yeah, 100% do it. you're 100% right, but I want to I want to I want to say that with a guy's voice too because that's really important. Gentlemen, we all have moms. We've we're married, we have wives, many of us have daughters. We're trying to say that the Me Too movement or dealing with um, sexual assault and all that stuff, that's a women's issue, takes it out of hands. No, it's a human issue and we all need to deal with it. And I'm not talking about Republican, Democrat politics in the United States, or if you're listening in another country, I'm not talking about political parties. I'm talking about the fact that women should be protected and lust encourages a culture that takes that protection away from them.
0: That's exactly it, Brian. And again, I I appreciate you jumping in and applaud you for saying so again in a man's voice, because again, this is a human issue. This is a humanity issue. And lust destroys marriages, and that is just so true.
1: Yes. Anytime you're receiving sexual gratification outside of your marriage, even if it's just mentally, it's not only adultery as defined by Jesus, but it weakens the bond between you and your spouse. If you're getting that gratification from any place other than your spouse, then the sexual communication and the sexual relationship between you and spouse is damaged, and it's going to draw you further apart. Um, Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage must be honored among all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, for God will judge sexually immoral people and adulterers. Lust tears marriages apart.
0: In lusting after your spouse in such a way as to treat them as a sex object will also wreck your marriage because sex is about communicating love and intimacy. When you make sex just about sexual gratification, you've denied the humanity of your spouse. So it's the objectification of others outside of the marriage and also the objectification of your spouse inside of marriage, whether they're happening, they're both happening or whether they're happening independently of each each other, that those are lust issues that are ultimately going to destroy a marriage. Sexual arousal
1: is not love. Now, in your marriage, we hope that you have healthy, strong sexual communication in your marriage that's connected to your love. But reading erotica, watching porn, lusting after someone and that's leading to sexual arousal. That is not love.
0: And it has it has nothing to do with love. And there is an aspect um, about the universality of lust that is true. We're all having to deal with it so you're not alone if you're facing that. It's one of the primary tools in the enemy's toolbox that will damage our relationship with God and our spouses. And we can't just overcome lust through willpower alone. There have been so many good Christian men and women who feel like they can stand up to Satan on their own and they lose every single time. And we see this throughout the centuries of saints who have come before us hundreds of years before.
1: And it's so tragic. I mean, we often see how this is um, an issue um, for church leaders, right? Um, Leaders who that's public. And it's heartbreaking and horrible because these usually men um, have done so much damage to a community, but just because you're not in church leadership, just because you're not going to wreck an entire community, you're going to wreck your marriage and your family.
0: And I always say that if you're a Christian, you've got a target on your back. If you're a married Christian, you've got this huge target on your back because the enemy wants your marriage to fail. And that's just a reality. And lust is a really good, easy tool for uh, him to use as he's used throughout the centuries to make this happen.
1: And so we can't overcome lust through willpower alone, but that doesn't mean we're destined to fall victim to lust. We are not mm-hmm. destined to fall victim to lust. The power of God through the Holy Spirit, will empower you to overcome lust in your life. God has given you the Holy Spirit to help you deal with all of those things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of flesh, the pride of life. God is with you. Jesus died to give you the ability to overcome that. And it says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. So it's not like we've got someone who has no idea what you're going through. The great thing about the resurrection and ascension is Jesus, the one who lived on earth and suffered and experienced every temptation worse than any of us have because he was able to overcome everyone. One of the things I love about what C.S. Lewis says about temptation is you don't know if you've sinned, you don't know how much temptation there can be because at some point you fell to it. Jesus does because he never failed to it. And the person who experienced every temptation yet was without sin is in the throne room of God the Father right now testifying for you, saying, that one's mine. We love that one. That one's mine. And the Holy Spirit is in you, giving you the power to deal with whatever you're facing. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 3, for this is God's will that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Holy Spirit is there. God's will is that you do not come to this ubiquitous, horrible lust that is around you, and you have the power to do it. And there are
0: actions that you can take to overcome lust in your life, and the first one that we talk about today is worship and you might say, "What you know how how does that do any kind of a connection there and Of course, worship magnifies in your heart and mind, helping you to trust and believe that God can and will help you and there's a a pastor who I really uh, respect, a 20th century pastor named Red St- Ray Steadman, who was uh, over in California, and he was saying that he believes that people who struggle with lust issues or going into going down that path into adultery, fornication, uh, sexual sin, is that they're really that that's really pursuing a longing for God that is going into that kind of uh, sexual morality and just channeled in a bad way. And the way that he put it was, it's that closeness and intimacy that we want to have with God. And of course, there's nothing sexual in that kind of a nature between God and us. But the idea of Christ talking about us being in him and him and us abiding in him and and he abiding in us, that closeness of relationship— People get their disordered desires in such a place where they're trying to pursue that kind of closeness, and they're exchanging that for these sinful things that have to do with lust and these kinds of sexual sin.
1: So worship, when you make God bigger in your own eyes, you can see how God fulfills every desire, every need you have. You can see how God is all in all and everything. And worship, that's why we worship God. Not, I mean, not just because he deserves it, which he does, but because through that we can see the greatness of who God is. And so different ways to worship God that we'd encourage is one, attend church services. It's funny how when we start getting stuck in sin, whatever that sin is, then the thing we want to do is the same thing Adam and Eve did when they ate the fruit in the garden. We run and hide from God. Mm -hmm. And while we know God is everywhere, his presence is experienced in a special way when you're in that church building with the community of Christ. And the worst thing you can do when you need God the most is spend less time with him. So attend worship service, and then also listen to music that magnifies and glorifies God. And that could be your favorite worship band, that could be um, your favorite Christian artist, but there are other artists out there that magnify God. Anything that's going to make the God of Israel, who raised Jesus from the dead, bigger in your eyes and your mind, listen to that, use that. And then a big thing for me, um, this is something I learned from a um, a theologian that I read a lot of, is read the Psalms. It's interesting, Jesus quoted the Psalms more than anything else in the entire Torah. And when you read the Psalms, that makes God huge in your mind. Um, And a practice that I've done um, and do occasionally when I really need to worship God is read five Psalms a day, five Psalms a day, and just keep that in your mind.
0: Another thing to do is to be able to confess and pray. I've always liked the book of James because I just feel like he just is so clear and is so blunt in many things. Um, In chapter five, he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness And, and you have been made righteous, not by yourself or by your actions. So if you're saying, you know, Jen, I, I, I'm lusting. There's nothing righteous about me. There's everything that's righteous about Christ. And he has transferred his righteousness to you. You don't have to live in this kind of sin and sinful lifestyle. You can l- just leave that and walk away with it. Surround yourself with those Christian brothers and sisters and be praying for each other too.
1: And also, confession I find is most effective when you confess to a person and not only to God. And I want to be very clear about this theologically because I don't want there to be confusion. Confession of sin to God is all that is necessary to receive God's forgiveness. You don't need a person to do that. God does that regardless because that's between you and God. Your relationship with God is your relationship with God. However, when you confess, your sin to a person, and I've experienced this in amazing ways in my life, it makes the situation more real for you. When you say the words out loud, you can no longer hide your sin from yourself. Because as I've said on this podcast before, I'm really good at lying to me. When you say those words out loud, you're telling the truth to someone else, and you're telling your truth to someone else. And The person hearing the confession can join you in prayer. When you have those godly friends and family members around you, they are also the righteous people that their prayers have great effectiveness. Even more special than that for me, and I believe will be for you, is the person, the hearing confession can be the tangible conduit of God's love to you. You can feel God's love through them coming to you. And it is so powerful to hear someone say to you, God forgives you because God does forgive you.
0: Even from this, again, I know that there's a lot of um, shame and a lot of awkwardness and a lot of wanting to hide from God and from your Christian community in dealing with this. But of course, there's no temptation that that has seized you that others haven't been exposed to or haven't felt in their lives. Um, so I want you to know that you're not alone, and I want you to be able to break out of the chains uh, of this lust into Christ's marvelous light. James 4 says that we don't have because we don't ask God, and we need to be in prayer, and we need to be continually asking him for that uh, forgiveness of sins.
1: One other practical thing, avoid the things and situations that cause you to lust. There are certain stores that you walk past because of their marketing that cause you to lust. Avoid those stores. If there's certain television shows because of the way things are presented that cause you to lust, don't watch those shows. In every way, flee from temptation. If something is going to tempt you to lust, then just avoid it.
0: And I I think with that, too, the good news is Jesus isn't saying we literally have to take out our eyes,
1: right? Well, no. No, we can talk about the theology of that, but he is telling you how serious lust is. Lust is something we have all had to deal with and will be faced with again. If you drive down the freeway, there's going to be billboards that are going to tempt you to lust. And that's not just guys. Oh,
0: that, that's very true. And I, I think we've seen a lot of these things that they're getting to be more and more geared towards women. It's like, wait a second, there's this guy who's got his uh, shirt off and he's in some sort of a provocative pose. And it's like, wait a second, they're trying to sell dishwasher detergents or something like that. It's like, well, what does that have to do with the
1: you know cleaning dishes, right? Absolutely. Or the the firefighters' charity calendars.
0: Oh, goodness. Yeah, that that's, what What are they saying? That that's, that's lust for a cause? I, I mean, that's donate to your fire department, but you don't have to pick
1: up the calendar. Uh-huh. Our culture dismisses lust as normal and harmless. It may be normal, but it is not harmless. Yet the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is in you If you are in Christ, that power will help you overcome lust in your life.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Operation Thriving Marriage podcast. And we ask that you would please subscribe and like our podcast, tell your friends about it
1: so others can find us. Jen and I started Operation Thriving Marriage to help couples and churches take marriages from merely surviving to thriving. We've got our book, we've got a blog, and resources for our coaching ministry, and you can bring us out for an Operation Thriving Marriage experience. For more information, go to com. That's com.